You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Once you have your Bible, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We're going to read the all 10 verses, but really hone in on verse 10 today as we come to the series finale uh, that we set out in January to become more convinced of the goodness of God. And I pray that uh, over the last uh, several weeks, may your uh, uh, thermometer has grown in its conviction that, yes, indeed, God is good. And as we've looked at both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we certainly haven't exhausted all there is to say about God's goodness, have we? But hopefully, uh, in the course of this study, and even as a result of today, that our roots have gotten a little uh, deeper in the soil of God's Word, and our branches have grown stronger to not only withstand bigger storms and trials and temptations and uh, affliction in our life, but also to bear more good fruit in our life. For what have we seen that from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Bible continuously asserts that God is good and does good. With no qualifications, always and forever, in every circumstance and seasons, God is good and does good. And His goodness is both one of God's attributes and a defining characteristic of His actions of his activities. It is a part of who he is and what he does. And so we, through this series, have kept this definition by Wayne Grudem of God's goodness before us. We've seen it multiple times, but if you've forgotten or today's your first day, here it is on the screen. When we are talking about the goodness of God, we mean this. We mean that God is the final standard of good. Right? What he says is good is good. What he does is good is, the, is what is good. And all that God is and does is worthy of our approval. Right? That's the definition we've been operating out of. And so God's goodness then is how theologians would define one of his communicable or his shared attributes. There are things about God that we don't share. Okay, some of his, his, his attributes that, are, that we, we don't possess. We are not omnipresent, are we? Meaning we, are, we can be everywhere all the time. All right? No, we, we don't share that. Sometimes we try to make our schedule <laughs> like that, and we're just, we're just not. But his goodness is something that he does share with us. And yet, as we've seen throughout the scriptures, we've seen that humanity in our brokenness and sin is not good. None of us are. And so the question for this morning, and as we round out this study, is then how do we as humans share in the goodness of God? And that's where Ephesians 2 comes in. Ephesians 2 answers that question for how do we share in God's goodness. And like I said, I'm going to read here now for us the first 10 verses so we get the context, but we're going to really laser in on verse 10. Have you found Ephesians? Bible, pray that you have. If not, let me uh, just read it here and you can listen along as I do. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now this is God's word for God's people this morning. Ephesians 2 here, these, and particularly this, uh, these 10 verses, is one of the best summary sections of Scripture, or of the gospel in all of Scripture. Like if you were to just go to uh, one uh, you know, succinct place in all the Bible to understand who we once were and how we are saved and then what we are saved to and how our life is different, these 10 verses are a great description. For we once were what? Dead in our trespasses and sins, following after the corrupted, broken, sinful patterns of this world and the leaders of the world. In our very core, our nature, we were children of wrath, both outside influences and in us, children of wrath, destined for condemnation, condemned in our own sin and born into it with no way out. And the most glorious two words in all the Bible are found there in verse 4. But... Seeing all of that was not repelled from us, but moved towards us by grace, out of the richness of his mercy, out of the abundance of his love for us, moved towards us in Christ Jesus coming to live the perfect life that we were supposed to live and couldn't and then died the death that we deserved to die for our sin and didn't also that we could be saved and raised up with a future inheritance. Having all the inheritance, all the who are seated there now symbolically united with Christ in the heavenly places and freed up and set up to live a life for the glory of God, living out these goods. What was demonstrated, as Jake told his testimony, here in the waters of baptism, once dead, made alive in Jesus Christ, and now living a life in a new trajectory. Praise God for that, right? For not only work in Jake's life, in all of us who love Christ this morning. God's good work to save us, right? And, and praise, praise God for what he did. And some of you all have a specific moment in your life when that but God moment happens. Some of you, it's been more of a process in your life and, and, and are now walking faithfully with the Lord. And others of you this morning, maybe the Spirit is at work in you right now, making you alive. Like, I want, I want a life like that. I want, I want this joy. I want new purpose in my life. 
what the Lord is calling you to do, what the Spirit is at work in you. He's calling you to repent and to believe, to turn from that life, following after the course of the, of the world and to now follow Jesus in faith, saying, what you did, Jesus, on my behalf has now not only set me free from sin's mastery, but now has freed me up to live a life for the glory of God. If that is you, you can pray. You can ask God to do that right now. God, do this, do this work in me, in whosoever, whoever that is. And then tell somebody about it. The person you came with, the people that are sitting next to you, come talk to me after service at the people at our connection desk out there. We would love to talk with you more about what following Jesus and his good work in your life, what that is all about. We've got the, the baptismal right here too. You want to make a public profession of that? We can talk about what that looks like. Uh, even today. And so this is God's good work, is it not? Summarized right here. This is a part of the inheritance in which we've seen. If you were here last week, as we came to the passage in Mark 10 in Jesus' conversation with the rich man and his disciples, we learned that nobody's good. Nobody is good enough in the sense that we can save ourselves, but God does the impossible to save us. It is his good work, and out of his good work, his goodness, he saves us and sends us and sets us up for a life of good. That's how we share in it, in a life of good works. And so write this down, for it's really the, the, the main takeaway today. It's at the center of verse 10 here. God is good, and he sets us up for a life of good works. This is what he calls us into, and this is the crux of these four clauses in verse 10. And we have to get the order right. Following the flow of chapter 2 here, right? We were dead in our sin and then saved and then sent and set up for his good work, right? Otherwise, if we get the order wrong, we could then boast about this being our salvation, being our good work. And verse 9 makes that very clear that no one can boast that we have saved ourselves. It is all God's good work. But now on this side of our salvation, this side of our regeneration, we then show the goodness of God by the grace of God through our good works. And that's where this uh, section ends. That's how we share in these four clauses in verse 10 about how God sets us up. And so if you're taking notes, see this in this first clause here, that we are God's good work. Write that down in your notes. Number one here, we are God's good work. And it's taken right from this uh, first little phrase. The four, we are his workmanship. Four is connecting us to the previous context and all that is going on here. And then he talks about we are his, God's workmanship. God is the artist and we are the masterpiece. Each and every person in here. The we there, we, it's, it's plural, it's second person plural. Some of your grandmas like, what in the world? We don't have a word actually for it, right? In the South, we have first person plural. What do we say when we're talking about you or a collection of people? We say, y'all, right? But this is like a whole nother category. It's like, we all, right? Some of you heard me say that before, and we maybe need to uh, insert a new word into the English language. Wall here are God's masterpiece. His workmanship, and it's very interesting too, because workmanship is this Greek word poema, where we in English derive our word poem, right? Where we get the word poem from. And so there's a sense here of all God's created things. Humans are God's greatest poem. 
His greatest masterpiece, as we've seen even a few weeks ago in Genesis 1 and 2, humans uniquely bearing the image of God. Now, poets write and write and have books and books of poems, but they're often known or made famous for one particular. In the same way, musicians pen many lyrics and many songs and release many albums, but it is usually one that tops the charts, one that makes them famous. And for God, every piece of his creation declares his glory. As you look out at the heavens, as you see the natural world and the order therein, it all declares his glory, but it is humanity, you and me, that uniquely proclaim his glory and his goodness. This is what Genesis 1 and 2 bears out, doesn't it? And Psalm 139, 13 and 14 adds some color uh, to this for us. You may know these two verses here. Let me just read them for you. It's David speaking here. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Thank you. We love these verses, knowing him fearfully. We are made fearfully and wonderfully in the image of God. And so think about these, uh, uh, these, these metaphors for a moment here. Why do we love poetry? Somebody, well, I don't like poetry. I don't know, romantic? I, don't know. I, I hated that, that class or that section in high school English. But you, surely you do. If you love music, music is just poetry set to music, right? It's just here we love because good poetry hits us at the soul. It, it connects us to something, it connects to something deep in us. The structure and the symmetry of, uh, of the words working together, the way the lyrics move us to feel, the way that they roll off the tongue and are audibly uh, pleasing to us. And so in the same way as we think about our humanity, and the complexity of our, uh, of our physical being, our anatomy and physiology working together to make us mobile, uh, cognizant humans. Mix that with the immaterial uh, uh, soul, the inner man or woman, our personality, and all that makes us up. Then with the incredible responsibility that God gives us uh, from the creation mandate to steward his creation to steward the rest of it and to live in relationship and with proximity uh, with others as we take all of this together. Yes, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. And as we think, it should lead us to praise God. For if anything else, just even thinking that about this, this is an identity statement for us to root both our belief and our behaviors in. Somebody maybe needs to hear this this morning. You are uniquely and specially made in the image of God. This isn't a comparison with any other person in the, uh, in the room or on the face of the planet anymore or less, despite any blemish or disability or impediment or constraint that others would put upon you or remind you of sin's remaining presence. These aren't mistakes or accidents on God's part. 
It isn't as though in the, uh, when you came along the assembly line of creation, so to speak, God got distracted or took a break or spilled something that made it all mess up. But now you are a part, just like anybody else, of God's good, masterful work to both create you and put you into the larger tapestry of his body of his creation. See, don't also make the mistake of thinking that we as individuals are just art pieces, individual pieces in an art gallery hung upon the walls of a museum. We are unique and detailed scenes within the grander mural of the cosmos of God's creation. Alive and active, they're not just created beautifully to sit there in some iconic, captured, isolated scene, but beautifully created for action, for service, for movement. For see, there's, we are his workmanship created for a purpose. Look here at the second clause here. We are also created for good works. Not only are we God's good work, we are then created for good works. For see, the second clause just bears this out. We're created, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Pretty straightforward, is it not? Created by Jesus and in Jesus for a purpose. We are created for something, for, for God's good purposes in Jesus. The good works uh, being a result, or not being, uh, rather, a result uh, of our, our good works, or our salvation not being as a result of good works. Let me get that right. Let's be very clear about a few things, right? We are not saved by our good works, are we? No. It's not. They're not in order to save us. But let's also be equally clear on the other side. We are not, not only are we uh, enter into our salvation because of our good works, but we do not also stay saved because of our good works. We're not like, don't think of this like athletes on a roster, like I have to keep doing a bunch of good things or at the end of the season or maybe even mid-season I might be cut or traded to another team and released for cash purposes or whatever because I'm not measuring up or putting out the stats. No, we weren't saved by our works and we're not kept saved. We don't stay saved and make it to the end by our works. There's something beautiful in this. Now, because we are saved and God's good work in us, now we just get to do good works. We're created for this very, very purpose. And it's a purpose as openers for unafraid witness. Sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. And so let's have a definition here for a moment. Like, what are, what are good works? Good works are uh, those, like I was talking about last week, they're uh, serving others in ways that they can't do or unable maybe temporarily or having trouble to do for themselves. They're, they're, they're serving others for their spiritual good, often by meeting physical needs. That's when the Bible talks about these things. It's what we get to do. We serve others with a spiritual uh, uh, purpose by meeting the physical needs of God's people. And so good works then are those door openers. Our life here, they, they open doors uh, for, or they open gospel doors and as God opens gospel hearts, then this opens up doors for discipleship. See, our good works don't save us, right? They open doors for somebody else 
See, like, well, let's just, let's just think of it, it this way, okay? Our good works don't save us. God doesn't use that in that way. But what they do, what they may do in God's good economy, even as we heard uh, in Jake's testimony here, our good works to serve and to live uh, for the glory of God may be what God uses to bring somebody else to salvation, to talk about the good work that Jesus did in our life to save us. And this is, our, this is our purpose. This is what he asked us uh, to do. This is what he set us up to do. And, you know, we get to those moments in our life where we ask those, like, existential questions, don't we? Where they become, like, at uh, the top, like in, in those key moments in our life when it's like we're graduating high school or graduating college or we're uh, discontent in our job or wondering, like, what should I be doing or hitting retirement? Like, how do I, who am I, for what purpose am I created? Uh, why am I even here? And there's bigger answers to all of that for sure. But the very simple answer, so we are created, like right here, we are created for good works. And whatever skills that you have, whatever research, whatever talents that God has given you, he he has opened these things up for us to serve him, for somebody else's spiritual good. He's, he's given you these things, not just so like, okay, I, go, I use these skills to, uh, you know, to make a living and all that stuff, but you know what? No, he's given them to you to give your first and best in service of others. The neighborhood in which you live, this, the people that God has put in your life, that you're there for good works. You are there to serve them, to love them, to meet their needs with whatever money you have, whether you have a lot of it or a little bit, like we talked about last week. It is all an opportunity for good works. They're not just like a separate category to our life to add to our schedule, so to speak. Like, okay, I have to take the kids to sports and go to work or do whatever, you know, and I know it usually doesn't happen in that order, but in whatever order it's happening, it's not like a separate thing to schedule, but they're an integral part of every moment. Right? These are uh, good work. You're, you are at your job more than just for the, uh, the job description that you have. You are in your home more than just a, for a place to live. But you're there to serve the people around you. And none of this is random. None of this just happens uh, accidentally, but it is also orchestrated by the hand of God. For look at the third clause here. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand. And so so write this down directly from that. We are part of God's good plan. We are his good work. We are created for good works. And we are also part of God's good plan to get the gospel out. We are God's means for the good news. Yes, he does the good work in the heart and mind that we don't have a part of, but we are part of his plan that he set up to give us opportunity. God did all of this work, preparing all the people and opportunities long ago. That's what he means. We're like, well, when did he prepare these, right? Beforehand. When did the chef get all the ingredients ready? Beforehand. And he uses this similar language back in chapter 1 to talk about uh, uh, our, his electing purposes and when he was doing it. It all happened before the foundation of the world. And at some point in that, that blows our minds, we in our finite minds think very linearly, well, sometime in eternity past, God was preparing and setting up all of these opportunities for us, a lifetime buffet of good works opportunities for all of us. And that's amazing, right? 
not in just like some, don't make the mistake, don't go too far to think like this is deterministic or fatalistic. No, we're not robots in that. Think of it like God just setting up this smorgasbord, a lifetime buffet of good works, opportunities prepared for you to take. It's all part of our inheritance. Remember the question last week that the rich man asked? How, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if, I would just encourage you to read Ephesians 1 and 2 this week in your time with the Lord. In your quiet time this week and see how many times that word inheritance jumps off the pages for you. Part of our inheritance is our salvation. It's the giving of the Holy Spirit in us, our unity in Christ, our adoption by the Father, and also these opportunities for good works are all a gift given as an inheritance. Part of what we read in verse 7, the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He is setting the stage for you to love and serve the people around you with the time, talent, and treasures that he has given to you. Every moment in your life has embedded in it an opportunity for spiritual good. To, to serve others, opportunities to steward well. You might be thinking, like, well, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? Like, this mean like literally every time, every time you get behind the wheel to drive somewhere is an opportunity to serve others. Not in a dangerous way. Don't think like, oh, blood cells, I have to drive 10 miles below the speed limit and let everybody, you know, and just, like, but you can't, just in the way you drive, it's an opportunity to serve others, to be responsible, be a responsible citizen, whether or not they, they, they know it. Every stressful situation at work, uh, every t- moment of chaos when it's ensuing here, or things, you have an opportunity that God is giving to you to do spiritual good in the darkest and most stressful of situations in your singleness, in your marriage, right? Opportunities for good works, whether you're single and have time on your hands to, uh, you know, more to, to, to serve others, you can do it. In your marriage, as you have somebody right living in your house with your kids, right? Even if your kids are out of the home, and maybe you even have a strained relationship with your kids, where are the opportunities for good works that will hopefully then open up the opportunities for gospel conversations that will then, as they come to faith in God's good uh, pleasure, you'll open up discipleship opportunities, but you don't get here without opening the doors through our good works that God has, like I said, set us up for beforehand. This is pretty amazing when you think about it, right? Hopefully it is. Like, God is so good. This is amazing. He would set me up for a life of good works. He would use me, even me, for this. That's humbling, you know, when we think about it. And yet there are things that hold us back. There are things in our life, maybe, that, uh, you know, as we come, it's like, okay, I know I have opportunities, all these things, but I, 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 I feel like a failure in this. So the staff and I this week, we were just kind of thinking about this. And here are just a few that we came up with on the screen. Maybe one of these resonates with you. What holds you back from it? I don't know. Maybe it's just a lack of confidence about who we are, who we are in Christ, how he's created us. Maybe it's a, just a lack of understanding about how to use then our gifts, how to use our, relation, or our resources. We just, we just don't know. Maybe it's a lack of awareness about what to do. What can I do? What's allowed in my workplace? What would I get in trouble for? I don't I don't know. Maybe it's just a lack of accountability within the community of faith. 
not necessarily account the community of the, the city. That's not what we're talking about. The community of faith, God's people, your small group, this church, and there's no one saying, hey, this is what we were created to do. How, here's how we can uh, help in this. And maybe one of these are like, yeah, I get this. Maybe you're like, no, none of these, but this is what actually holds me back. Whatever it is, hopefully the text has countered these restraints and freed you up this morning, freed you up to now just walk it out, to now take the opportunities to see this as something in God's goodness, not only to save you, but also to set you up for this life of good works. And that's why this verse crescendos with this last clause about what we then do about it. We write this down. We walk the path then of good works. The first part is like, here's God's work. Here's what he did to create us as a masterpiece and to create us then with a purpose and to then set up the table for our good works. What? So that that we should walk in them. That's the whole thing. Just one thing. Okay, walk it out then. And walking, talked about it before, is one of the predominant metaphors in the scripture of faith. Not running, not walking, not just lying idly still, not lazing about, but walking. One step in front of the other in faithful obedience. Faith and faithfulness is movement. Movement toward Jesus and away from sin. Just one foot in front of the other, eyes fixed on Christ in the moment and away from sin. That's what... The Christian life is all about. And so how do, how do we do this? Well, the scripture teaches us what not to do and also how then to faithfully walk this out. Right? Okay, so how do we know? I know I need to do this. I know I, I should. Well, what should I not do? Well, Psalm 1 verse 1 tells us this. Right? It's here on the screen here. It says, blessed is the man or woman. Blessed is the human. Do you want to be blessed in here? Yeah could rightly be translated also happy. Does anyone want more happiness in your life? Absolutely, right? Should go without saying. None of us in here are like, no, actually, I prefer more chaos in my life. Right? Now we've got enough of that. But what is it? It just simply says it, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Right? If you are taking your counsel from people who hate the Lord, watch out. Chaos could ensue, but those who love the Lord, you be blessed. If that's you, like, don't, don't walk that way, nor standing in the way of sinners. And so what's, what's the picture here? Somebody who's not like standing in the way, like a sinner is walking down, I'm standing like a roadblock in their way. No, it's to be like standing on their side. There were two ways to go. No, I'm going to stand with, I'm going to tie my uh, allegiance to, I'm going to hitch my uh, wagon to those who are sinners. You do that, it's chaos is going to ensue, right? Nor also those who sit in the seat of scoffers, right? There's a degradation happening here. The list just listening to, now siding with, now fully seated in, 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 the, in the presence of those who mock and jeer the things of the Lord. That's what a scoffer does they are full of themselves and full of their own opinions and think they are the smartest brightest wisest person in the room or the whole planet and if we find ourselves there that's not where the place of blessing is we've stopped walking after the lord and now we've just come to be seated in the seat of scoffers but verse 2 thankfully it doesn't end there tells us how to walk the way of blessing 
But blessed is the man who walks where his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So what does this mean? Well, if you want to walk the pathway of good works, it starts by walking in the word of God. By delighting in it, by meditating on it, chewing on it, having it in our life. You're meditating not in like the mystical sense of like emptying our minds and humming, you know, and, 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 and just emptying our whole thoughts, but rather the biblical idea of meditating is filling our thoughts, filling our thoughts with the things of the Lord, with filling our minds day and night and thinking about it. Not just like, okay, when we wake up and end the, end the day and then everywhere in between we can walk however we want. That's not what he's getting at here. But rather that our life is saturated in the things of the Lord and how we think and what we delight in. Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians and early church leader, also wrote a letter to a guy named Titus. I encourage you to read Titus this week as well, for he talks much about good works in these three chapters. So much so, like he, he tells us to be zealous for good works. Like you're just eager, like, okay, I'm about, I can't believe that I am saved and I get to serve others for their spiritual good, to be ready for every good work, like prepared for it, looking for the opportunities so that when they present, we can take them. But so much so then we are devoted to good works. He says that twice in Titus chapter three, that our very life is devoted to all of this. And as we grow convinced of God's goodness, more devoted to living a life that is vertical for the glory of God and the fulfillment of the Great Commission, we then realize like all of this begins, our part in this so often is just through humble, faithful, good works. And so you're asking, okay, well, I'm convinced of God's goodness. What does this mean? How do I live this out then? Well, just like it's pretty simple. What's your next faithful step of obedience? How do, how do I find the right uh, uh, thing? How do, I, how, do I just, how do I take the next opportunity that presents itself? How do I do the next right thing? We'll just keep on going. And if you miss the opportunity, it's okay. Just take the next one. It's, it, you just missed a step. It's not like you missed the trailhead. Right? It's not like you, you like missed out on everything. You just, you, you, you just take the next one. Like in, in athletics, how, how are you coached or how do you coach your kids as, you know, like in baseball season, they, they strike out or they miss just an easy routine fly ball. What do, you, what do you tell them? Yeah, you'll get the next one. You just, it's like, so what, now what? Okay, just put it out of your mind. It's okay. Just take the next one because we know God is good and he is sovereign both over the misses and the makes. He'll open up these doors. And so our joy, our, our joy in all this is just the goodness that we just get to walk it out. We just get to keep on going, thankful for God's goodness to save us, humbled by God's goodness to set us up for this life of good works, and hopeful for God's goodness to bear much fruit in us and through us. That's what we want. No matter what season, no matter what uh, comes upon us, we are convinced of it and then are just living a life committed to these good works, walking them out as God would see fit. And so what I want us to do as we bring both this message and this series to a close this morning is just ask that God's goodness would be at work in us. 
And I want us to do it in a way that maybe is a, 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 you know, uncommon in our own life and uncommon here. But I want us to pray some responsive prayers together. I've just taken a, a collection from a historic litany found in the Book of Common Prayer this morning that really laser in on God's goodness. His goodness to spare us, His goodness to deliver us, and His goodness to answer our requests. And so as we pray uh, in closing, both the message and this series, we're going to put these uh, prayers on the screen. I'm going to read the first portion of it, and then you will have the opportunity to respond with me, to just say uh, it with me. In this case, spare us, good Lord, that last sentence. And so as I read it, you respond with me. Let your voice be heard. Let's read with, uh, with great conviction in praying in this way this morning. Hear this uh, prayer and respond with me. Remember not, Lord, our offenses, nor the offenses of our forefathers. Spare us, good Lord. Spare your people whom you have redeemed with your most precious blood. Say it with me. Spare us, good Lord. From all evil and mischief, from sin, from the crafts and assaults of the devil, from your wrath and from everlasting condemnation, good Lord, deliver us. From all blindness of heart, from pride, vainglory, and hypocrisy, from envy, hatred, and malice, and all uncharitableness, good Lord, deliver us. From all uncleanness and thought, word, and deed, and from all the deceits of the world, the flesh, and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. From lightning and tempest, from earthquake, fire, and flood, from plague, pestilence, and famine, from battle and murder, and from sudden death, good Lord, deliver us. From all sedition, conspiracy, and rebellion, from all false doctrine, heresy, and schism, from hardness of heart and contempt of your word and commandment, good Lord, deliver us. By the mystery of your holy incarnation, by your holy nativity, by your baptism, fasting, and temptation, good Lord, deliver us. By your agony and bloody sweat, by your cross and passion, by your precious death and burial, good Lord, deliver us. By your glorious resurrection and ascension, by your sending of the Holy Spirit, by your heavenly intercession, and by your coming again in glory, good Lord, deliver us. In all times of tribulation, in all times of prosperity, in the hour of death and in the day of judgment, good Lord, deliver us. We do beseech you to hear us, O Lord God, and that it may please you to rule and govern your holy church universal in the right way. We beseech you, good Lord, to give all elders, deacons, staff, and small group leaders true knowledge and understanding of your word, and that by their preaching, serving, and living, they may set it forth and show it accordingly. We beseech you, good Lord, to send forth laborers into the harvest to prosper their work by the Holy Spirit, to make your gospel known unto all nations and to hasten your kingdom. We beseech you, good Lord, to give us all increase of grace, to hear meekly your word and to receive it with pure affection and to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. We beseech you, good Lord, to bring into the way of truth all who have erred and are deceived. We beseech you, good Lord, to strengthen such as do stand, to encourage the faint-hearted, to raise up those who fall, and finally to beat down Satan under our feet. We beseech you, good Lord, to forgive our enemies, persecutors, and slanders, and to turn their hearts. We beseech you, good Lord, 
to give us true repentance, to forgive us all our sins, negligences, and ignorances, and to endue us with the grace of the Holy Spirit to amend our lives according to your word. We beseech you, good Lord. O Christ, Son of God, good Lord, we are convinced of your goodness. Amen.